Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Good morning. It really feels like coming home. What a privilege to be here with all of you. Thank you, Jake, for inviting me. Now, in today's gospel that Nancy just read, I am especially struck by the clarity of the job description for these first 12 apostles, these first followers of Jesus. They are told exactly what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go out in pairs and they're supposed to do five things. They are to teach, I can handle that. They are to preach, that's okay. They are to heal the sick, well, sort of. They are cast out demons, I'm not going there. To cleanse lepers, I don't even know what that's about. So, these job descriptions, they're a little bit scary, a little bit weird, okay. But nonetheless, they're clear. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. And I yearn for clarity like that. Because the fact is, I am not always sure what I am exactly supposed to be doing. I mean, my job description as a priest, uh, as an Episcopalian, as a Christian, I mean, just as a human being, sometimes feels a little hazy. I would like my instructions from God for getting through this life to be a little bit more discernible. And when those questions happen, it leads me sometimes to wonder just how much of a handle the risen Lord actually has on the specifics of the life of Jim Monroe. Whether he really has a handle, as the old hymn says it, on the troubles I've seen. So, I try to discern God's will for me, and then some of these questions arise, and then the doubts start to appear sometimes. Doubts that God really does have a vision for wholeness for my life. Doubts that really God has a will and a mission for Jim Monroe. Now, there's one unique portion of the Bible that speaks to these doubts, and I want to look at it with you. I've got my Bible here. It's really old. It's got some duct tape on the cover. Um, And I want to open to the first page of the Bible right here. Now, I've opened to the first page, and on this first page, the first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The portion of this Bible that I want you to notice, though, is not the first verse. You see, above the first verse, the word Genesis is printed, And above the word Genesis, there's about a half inch of blank space. And that blank space is my text for this sermon. Here's what I mean. You and I tend to to limit our thinking um, only as far back as the beginning of creation, the beginning of time. And that is wrong. And it's wrong because when God defines who he is, God says, before Abraham was, I am. Which is just another way for God to say, before anything was, I was. 
So, with all of my authority as the former part-time assistant priest to Jacob Smith at Calvary St. George's Church, I give you permission this morning to write in your Bible. And the first thing I invite you to do is to write in that blank space above the word Genesis, the word God. But that's not all, because then the Bible gets more specific. The first verse in Genesis says, in the beginning, God, but the first verse in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, is, in the beginning was the Word. And what's the Word? Well, 14 verses later, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then, several books later, St. Paul nails it down when he says, all things were created through Jesus Christ. Not all things were created just through God, but through Jesus himself. So, with all my authority as the facilitator of the Calvary St. George's Saturday morning Zoom men's group, that motley crew of off-the-wall guys, I give you permission right now to write the words Jesus Christ in that blank space above Genesis on the first page in your Bible. Do you see the implications of those words above the blank space? It means, for instance, that the virgin birth was not an accident. It means that the cross was no last-ditch effort to try to save the situation that had gotten out of control. It means that Easter is not an option. It means that all of these things were in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. There's one more. Well, first of all, Jesus really nails that down when he says on the night before he died, this is an amazing verse. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you, get ready, before the world was made. Now hang on because there's one last word to write in this blank space. One last thing we're invited to do with our text this morning. We get a hint of this last word in Psalm 139 in the Old Testament, the verse that says, Even before a word was on my tongue, O Lord, you knew it completely. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. But then, St. Paul gives us a lot more than a hint. In his letter to the Ephesians, he says this, God chose us. God chose each one of you here at St. George's right now this morning, comma, before the foundation of of the world. So, with all my authority, as a beloved friend of Nancy Hanna for the past 40 years, and with all of my authority as the husband of the incredible Hilda Garcia, I authorize you, in the name of God, to take an indelible marker and write your own name in the blank space above Genesis 1-1.
Now, the news that I'm offering to you and me right now has nothing to do with the theological doctrine of predestination, that thorny issue that all seminarians wrestle with and agonize over for three years. What I am simply saying is that the purpose of God from the beginning of time is that you, right here this morning, are to be God's beloved, cherished, adored, washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, made new children. What I am saying is that God had Jacob Smith in mind when the Spirit was moving over the face of the waters. God had Nancy Hannah in mind while Abraham and Sarah were having a baby. God had Janet Broderick in mind while David was writing the 23rd Psalm. I mean, can you believe it? God had Molly Jane Layton in mind while Jesus was playing in his dad's shop as a little boy. God had Chris and Janelle Domig in mind while Martin Luther was nailing a list to the Wittenberg door. God had Scott Pavo in mind when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was languishing in a Nazi prison. God had Mari Scarapino in mind when her parents were little children. God had Jennifer Allen in mind when you and I were getting up this morning. I want to close with two little pictures involving women of how this extraordinary truth of God having you in mind to be washed and redeemed and made new can be played out in our lives. And the first picture comes from a time when I was with a group of clergy some years ago visiting churches in East Africa. And the first night we stayed in Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. And that evening we went for a walk in Uhuru Park, that's Swahili for freedom. But nobody told us that we weren't supposed to be there at night, kind of like not walking in Central Park at night. And as we walked along, some men jumped out of the bushes and attacked us. And they stole some purses and wallets and cameras and knocked some people to the ground. Nobody was hurt very badly. The next morning, I was walking in downtown Nairobi on a sidewalk when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fear rose up inside of me. And it was so strong that someone had to take me into a building and sit me down with my back to the wall for a couple of hours. And while I sat there, I was stunned to realize that the fear I was feeling was exactly the same fear that I had experienced 15 years earlier, one particular pretty bad night in Vietnam. And I was stunned to think that I'd been carrying it down here for 15 years without knowing it. And it took the event the night before in the park to trigger it to all come back as if that Vietnam had happened just yesterday. And then came the doubts whether God really had a vision for wholeness in my life, whether there really was an accessible God who yearned for me to be healed from those fears. That afternoon, 
our group was supposed to visit a church outside of Nairobi. We got into Land Rovers, and as I sat in the back seat, I made sure that people were on each side of me. I couldn't even look out the window. It felt like all of Africa was sort of evil crushing in on me. We got to the church. It was really ugly. It looked like a concrete garage. But out of it came the women's group that had obviously been preparing for us. I got out of my car and just stood there, frozen with fear. And then these women, this women's group started walking towards us. And they had beautiful dresses, and they were singing and dancing and swaying. And one particular woman started to walk toward me. And as she got closer, I saw that she was a very large woman. I'll bet that she was at least six foot six, and she was not slender. This was an ample woman. And as I stood there, she came right up to me, and she totally invaded my personal space. She wrapped her arms around me, and I kind of disappeared out of sight in her embrace. I don't have words to adequately describe what happened to me as that woman embraced me. All I can tell you is that as she held me, I felt the fear that had been freezing me just slowly fall away off of my body and spirit, just like leaves fall off the trees here in the fall, and to be replaced by a kind of peace that I hadn't known was possible. I later learned that this woman was one of three wives to a man, that she spoke no English, and that she had had 16 children. She and I had absolutely nothing in common except for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ had called both of us to himself. And through this woman, a vision for wholeness, for healing, was simply given to me as an undeserved, unmerited, no-strings-attached gift. The second picture is much shorter, and I close with this. Last Sunday, over at Calvary Church, Jacob was the preacher. And he had just gotten to the third point of his sermon. It was a sermon about welcoming people, how Jesus welcomed especially the outsiders. When a disturbed man walked down the side aisle, came down the aisle muttering and, and disrupting things, and Jacob began to think about throwing the third point of his sermon out. But then the Lord Jesus Christ showed up in the person of another woman. And the woman was Ann Clark. Ann, I know you're here somewhere this morning. Now we all know that Ann Clark is a sinner, just like all of us. But in that moment, Ann embodied Jesus. Ann got up and walked over to this kind of scary guy and offered him that third sacrament, a chocolate donut. And the man quieted down, and Anne spoke with him, and then the two of them walked to the back of the church. They shared a donut together as they talked, and then the man went on his way. And a little glimpse of the healing and the wholeness and the forgiveness and the peace 
that Jesus has in mind for each one of us this morning, from before the beginning of creation, was given over at Calvary last Sunday. So, the next time your sermon gets interrupted when you're on your third point, or the next time you're frozen with fear, or the next time you're awash with guilt over that thing you did yesterday or 20 years ago, or the next time your job description feels a little vague, and listen, every person, young person, who's ever moved to Manhattan has been here about two or three years when they've suddenly wondered, I'm not sure what God's will for my life is. Or when you're just feeling all alone. Remember that your name, written in indelible ink, is in the book of life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.